Okay, I will uh, do my best to project. Sorry, let me just, it's like a bad dream. <laughs> okay, I got it. We are uh, four days away from Thanksgiving and I don't know what you guys are doing, but um, some people really like Thanksgiving and some people really hate it. I get a lot of talk about uh, racist uncles and uh, grandmothers who are ornery. And uh, I've never really had that problem because my family doesn't really celebrate Thanksgiving because I don't know, we just didn't really do it. So, uh, but if you are doing that, I just wanna say, um, if it's hard for you this week, as it might be, uh, please reach out to me or someone here that you love and trust. And after dinner, you can call and cry together and complain if you'd like. But uh, this month, we have been talking about gratitude and grace and Thanksgiving, obviously the theme of the month. Virginia talked uh, two weeks ago about Thanksgiving more. In our welcome table last week, we talked about Thanksgiving. So today, I wanna focus a little bit more on this idea of grace, which is a strange concept um, that'll be hard to explain. So I'm gonna, I'm actually gonna try to like birth this out. I know it looks weird. I'm gonna try to do this thing, explain this thing that I still don't really quite understand yet. I'm gonna try it. So please bear with me as I do that. All right, so I mentioned this two weeks ago, but, uh, or a couple of weeks ago, I've been doing this last, these last two or three months, I've been part of this uh, East Asian American uh, group. And uh, it's a bunch of East Asian Americans, as you can imagine. We're all uh, children of immigrants, and we've been gathering every Monday, every week, for the last two months or so to basically like share stories with each other. Like, who are you? How did you get here? What is your, what is your family like? How did they get to America? And uh, we're not all, but a good number of us are what we call first generation uh, immigrants. So there's some dispute about the generational naming here. If I could just go on a, a quick aside. Some people say I'm a second gen. Okay, so my parents came here, right, from Korea, and then I was born here. Yes, I was born here. And some people would say I'm a second generation immigrant or Korean American. And some people would say I'm a first generation. To the best of my understanding, a second generation is I'm a second generation of my parents here, but I'm the first Korean American generation here. Does that make sense? So as I'm using this term first generation throughout this, that's what I mean. We're the first uh, of the Korean-American or Asian-American uh, generation here. And so this group, when you hear the stories of particularly these first-generation people, the stories of how people ended up in America uh, are fascinating, right? They're uh, some of the craziest stories I've ever heard, right? You have uh, people running away from communist invaders. You have communists who are running away from, what's the opposite of communists? <laughs> Capitalists, pigs, yeah. You have uh, like grandmas sewing, taking like the lining of their dresses and putting gold in there so that they can run and not 
people wouldn't steal it from them, and then they would bribe off officials as they got to the port and all this kind of stuff. There was a woman whose like, mother from China came over here to Wisconsin to go to school, and she was raised in China by herself, by her grandparents, and she finally came to America when she was like 10, and basically didn't even know who her mother was, and got off the plane by herself, and this strange woman picks her up at the airport, it's like, I'm your mother, and they have to learn to live together. There are lots of uh, arranged marriages, and letter writing between lovers across continents, which I found out that my parents did, <laughs> which was a shock to me. Uh, and the fact that they didn't keep them uh, is truly a, a loss for all of us. But all these very intricate, crazy uh, sequence of events right, that lead to this moment where we're here, we've, we've, we're first-generation immigrants, sitting around telling our stories together, right? And, if, and I think if any of us looked at our own families and ancestries and stuff, I think we'd all be amazed at some point in the circumstances that have led us to be here right now, right? But uh, I would argue that for first-generation children of immigrants, there's something very immediate about this, uh, this feeling, this circumstantial feeling, this... What has struck me over and over again over these, over these weeks hearing these stories is this overwhelming feeling that my being here is uh, incredibly contingent, it's overwhelmingly contingent, that my existence is uh, not my own in a way, right? Why am I in America? I could have easily have been born in Korea with just one little decision here, uh, a denial of a visa there, right? That what if becomes even more acute living in a country where I am seen as a minority or an other or an outsider. Right, I think many of my other fellow first-generationers, often we fantasize about what it would be like to have been born in our native land, right? and some of us try to live that out by going off and, and living there as adults. I haven't visited South Korea since I was very young. I don't remember it um, that well. but. The idea to me, and I don't know if this will sound weird to you or not, the idea to me that I could walk out on the street and see uh, everybody on the street would look like me, or I would turn the TV on, and on the TV, everybody would look like me, right? Like, that is uh, hard for me to even imagine. Do you know what I'm saying? The closest I get is K-Town Plaza in, uh, in LA where, uh, the food court there is like the best food court in the world. Everybody is Korean. But I walk outside and I see white people. So it's hard for me to imagine. Right? In my alternate life of being born in Korea, this sort of innate sense of difference that I always carry with me, uh, which sometimes feels like shame, sometimes feels like strength even, uh, it would be gone. It wouldn't exist. Right? When people talk about immigrant kids and their experiences, people often mention things like dueling identities and a lack of feeling at home anywhere, language barriers, things like this. But I think what doesn't get articulated very well is what I'm talking about here, this very close and intimate sense of a lack of control over one's existence, this radical contingency that rules over one's life that is true for everybody if you drill down deep enough. But for people like me, it's right there on the surface, sort of all the time. This 
weird hum, this weird buzz, right? It's written literally on my face in some ways, right? It's a feeling that uh, my life is simultaneously mine and not mine at the same time. Your life is yours and it is not yours at the same time. When we talk about gratitude, uh, we talk so much, I think, through this prism of things we have or things we don't have, right? Don't have in the good sense. I'm thankful for fill in the blank. Sorry, I couldn't think of one quick enough for you. But you guys probably have done this tradition in Thanksgiving where you sit around at the table and it's time for you to share something that you're thankful for, for, thankful for throughout the course of the year. Has anybody um, ever had one that was so noteworthy that you never forgot it? No? It's just usual crap? We don't do that. OK. That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> Anybody? <laughs> Nobody? Oh. Do people do this? Yeah. yeah. People do this, right? Like one of our own or one of someone? Either one. Maybe you said it. Yes. It's a memorable one. Can we hear it? Yeah. It was the year after my sister had moved to college. So do you just you just sat there and left him hanging? Yeah, yeah, we looked awkwardly and said next. <laughs> Damn. Okay. <laughs> so sweet. This is your sweet story. Well, okay, so that's an interesting one. Uh, most of the time, right? I imagine we don't remember because it's like, oh, I'm thankful. It's like that, you know. Uh, what you say when you don't actually have something you could think of, which is, I'm thankful to be here, even though it's often a lie. What I don't recall, though, uh, in these rituals, ever hearing someone say something like that they're thankful despite the fact that they had, had no say and no power in their very existence and no control over who they become as a self and as a person, and yet they are thankful, right? That kind of thankful um, statement is one that I have not heard, uh, and partly because obviously it's, it's weird, and if you said that during dinner, they would probably just say next as well. Uh, but also, I wonder if we don't say things like that because we're actually not thankful for that. We're not actually thankful for that. Grace and gratitude share an etymological root, uh, the Latin gratia. And depending on the New Testament context, the word charis, the Greek word that's used for grace, is often or can be translated for thanks as well, or favor. Um, I'm not an expert on etymologies. That's, you can ask Patrick for that. But I am going to take the liberty to say that there is something that we can learn by these two words having a shared root, that there's something um, that forces us to consider what it means for those two things to spring out of the same place. I'll come back to that in a second. But the theological concept of grace itself is very important. But at the same time, as I was doing 
my research into this, uh, the black hole for what it means is like none other I've ever seen. Because so much has it hinged on this idea of what grace is. Like, the Protestant Reformation, for example, right? The fundamental shifting in Western civilization, right? One could argue is a fight over what it means, what grace means. I don't want to get into all the terrible things, um, not terrible things, but the many variations of the meaning. So I will just say this, right? In a redemptive religion like Christianity, the classic idea of grace is that human beings are uh, screwed up, right? We're sinful, um, we've fallen, we deserve bad things in this form of God's judgment, right? And we need redemption. That's why it's a redemptive religion, right? So in a redemptive religion like ours, the central point is that we deserve bad things and grace is God's gift to us that says, you deserve bad things, but here's grace, a little box for you. And when you take it, you are, you are free. You're good to go, right? There's a little bit, you know, of leeway there in terms of how free you actually are, and some people will argue about that. Um, but that's kind of the basic point, right? Grace is that gift, that thing that God's, without you deserving it, God gives to you. I don't know if you guys noticed, I didn't read any Bible passage yet, because it's in here. I want to read it to you now. First Ephesians, not First Ephesians. Ephesians. <laughs> you were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, which, by the way, is, is a bizarre... What is that? The power of the air? Do you know what that is? No, oh, I know it's... Yeah, okay. Following the ruler of the power of the air, the devil, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient, all of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses. And we were by nature children of wrath like everyone else. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not the result of works so that you, no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. I'm sure many of us have heard this passage, right? Especially Ephesians uh, 2, 8, and 9 right here. This, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Do people feel good about hearing that? Is it weird? You don't, you don't feel good about it? Why? It's a gift. You don't believe it, damn. But you, you gotta, <laughs> you're a pastor here, you gotta like keep some of that inside, okay? <laughs> Anybody else? 
feels reaction, any reaction to that? Feels arbitrary. Arbitrary. Wow. Why why does what we call sin have to be redeemed in a sense? You would say that. I'm down. <laughs> any other yeah. I think it can be like they can cancel discussion. It's like, okay, this is a gift, we don't really understand it, and so like just have to believe that or not believe that, right? I don't think that you can really dialogue to get to a better place other than either believing it or not believing it. Mm. I'm on that boat, I think. Um, the, you know, the reason we need this, according to this theological system, is no matter what we do, we will never be good enough, right? Like you can become a, a freaking good person. <laughs> I was like, I was gonna say a monk, but I was like, they don't really. They just do their own thing. Are they actually helping anybody? So. Someone like a monk, but doing good things in the world, right? You could be a good person. You look like Steve Jobs a lot right now, and it's freaking me out. <laughs> and, but no matter how much good you do, it can never erase all of that stuff. So I do like the idea, too. But at the same time, with this chorus of doubters here, there's also something fundamentally uh, uh, problematic, maybe, or... Um, that doesn't sit quite well with me in what this passage says. One, or the idea of grace in general, right? And one is kind of what you're saying, Yun, is that our condemnation is a given. Right? That God's initial disposition towards us is always this like judgmental, you shitty person kind of disposition. Right? Um, even though I think we are fundamentally uh, flawed in a lot of ways as creatures. Um, deserving of damnation is like, that's a lot. You know what I mean? Seems a little uh, out of proportion, if you ask me. Disproportionate in terms of God's anger. So that's one thing, right? Um, and for that reason, I want to read this other passage from Hebrews, which if it may not sound like it, but I want, if you listen carefully, I think it actually is saying, a lot of what the Ephesians passage is saying, but with a, a much nicer, a kind of more uplifting and positive spin on it. So, since therefore the children share flesh and blood, he, which is Jesus, he himself likewise shared the same things, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Right here, the difference to me is um, it's liberation. Grace is liberation instead of pardon. You hear me on that? Grace is freeing us from death instead of saying, all right, you deserve it, but I'll let you go. Right. The other problem I have with this passage, or this idea of grace, I should say, in general, is that I would say that grace is more than just a moment of conversion or something like this. 
When we hear it in this way, you've been saved through grace, God has given you grace, we often think about it in this like conversion moment, right? And especially if you grew up evangelical like I did, conversion experiences and sinners' prayers are a big deal, right? You have to do, if you, if you didn't do that, you're not really gonna make it up there, right? Like you have to do it that way. I'm not saying that conversions and really meaningful experiences are, are not real, right? We can have really deep, meaningful experiences that we come out of and then we're like, I wanna be different. But conversion is a lifelong thing, right? Your life in itself is an opportunity, a time, a passage, uh, a way for you to continually be changed and reformed. And if that's true, then that means for me that life is full of grace. That grace is not a moment that hits you, but to be here is to have grace. Life itself is full of grace, and when we recognize those, those moments of grace, we are able to have maybe some faith and take a leap into something, be hopeful about something. But I would say it's even deeper than that. It's not just that life has moments of grace. It's that life itself again is grace, and in that way also grace is life. And if that is true, I don't mean this in the kind of hallmarky way of being like, life is a gift, right? because life is often not a gift. It doesn't feel that way, right? Life is a gift. If grace is in life, life is a gift in spite of life in some ways. That's a weird kind of paradoxical statement. Life is a gift, yet it is a gift in spite of itself. I think that one way we could think about this is, uh, again, back to this way of talking about how life is ours and not ours at the same time. Right. There's some thing that happens when you recognize that, when you recognize these kind of opposing forces working through themselves together. Right. For me, um, to recognize that in my own experience as a first generation immigrant or whatever, right? Like, what it does then is it opens up something for me. It opens up a possibility for me that I was unwilling or unable to see for myself before. And I think what it also does for us to take this paradox into ourselves, that life is good and life is bad, it's like a simple way of saying it, but like the truest thing we could also say um, is that we take a step to say that life is also not about damnation, but it's about liberation. It's about acceptance. Right? Back to that root between those two words, grace and thanks, gratitude. Um, it doesn't make sense for, to me for us to be thankful for a world in which we're constantly worried of shitty things and fucked up things happening to us all the time, and when they don't, we're like, praise God, we're so happy, thank you, Lord, that X, Y, Z didn't occur. Like that, what kind of way to live is that, right? It's like such a, ugh, like an enclosed, 
terrible way to live, right? And, I, and, you meet, and I've met people like that who fundamentally live that way, and a lot of them have good reason to, right? Like my grandmother, who I mentioned a couple weeks ago, right? Living out of war, like it's hard not to have that stance when you've been through so much shit in your life, right? But uh, at the same time, that's not what I would hope for us, right? And I don't think that's the life that we have been given or called to live. I'm gonna just close with this quote um, that talks about the way that grace, as, it, as we come to see it as life itself, begins to take in this weird way, uh, I'm trying to think of this, what's, is it Disney? There's like a, an animation in my mind where you see like weird sprinkly, like lights and then they go like this and then this thing does anyone know what i'm talking about no okay whatever <laughs> it it's a, it's a it's like a magic animation that takes fragmented things and then it brings them together right this is sort of what grace can do for us right taking our life in this way and the good and the bad and the contingency and all that and make something this is from christian wyman part of the mystery of grace is the way it operates not only as present joy and future hope but also retroactively in a way. The past is suffused with the presence that at the time you could only feel as the most implacable absence. This is why being saved, he goes on this long thing about why he hates that term but uses it anyway. This is why being saved involves embracing rather than renouncing one's past. It is true that Christ makes a man anew, that there is some ultimate change in him, but part of that change is the ability to see your life as a whole, to feel the form and unity of it, to become a creature made for and assimilated into existence, rather than a desperate, fragmented man striving against existence or caught forever just outside of it. The whole point is to just live into it, right? and to find, let that weird reanimation happen for ourselves, right? That makes us see our life as a whole and as a gift that we're thankful for. Also, I hope that this Thanksgiving, if you have an occasion to go around the table, you will tell everybody you are thankful for the radical contingency of life, and the powerlessness you've had in shaping who you are and all that, even then, I am thankful. And then let me know what happens after you do that. Amen. We're going to take an offering. Um, and as we do the song, if you are able to give, please do. If you uh, also want to, you can do it online um, or later. Do we have a person?